is a, it is just a great day. It is a great day. I'm excited about all that God has for us in the house this morning. Um, we've got a baptism happening later in the service, and uh, we've got just all kinds of wonderful things that God is doing in the house this morning. And one of those things, thank you so much, one of those things that God is doing is, is he's, uh, he's going to speak to us and encourage us through his word today. And I can't wait to continue to join to join and dig into the word as we continue our journey through Luke's gospel. But we have a before we get into the word this morning, we have a special guest that has joined us this morning. Scott Stalinsky is here this morning, and that he's with Refugee Relief, and he's going to share some things that God is doing through his ministry and uh, and some ways that we have partnered with him in the past and in this ministry and and how we can partner in the future. So Scott, would you would you come right on up this morning? Let's get Scott feel welcome this morning. Thank you, brother. So basically, we're working where, where refugees flee. Most refugees flee on foot, right? Very few refugees uh, are boarding a plane to Europe or able to have the funds to get to the United States. 75% of refugees flee on foot, and they go to a neighboring country, which is often impoverished. Uh, and so if you can imagine being in an impoverished country or being in a country that's having When Russia invaded Ukraine, uh, there was a huge outcry, and rightly so. It, was one of the, it caused one of the biggest exodus of refugees the world has ever seen. So, rightly so, a lot of funds shifted. The UN, who is the overseer of world funds to help refugees, the UN had to shift funds right away to take care of that situation. They don't have, just like every organization, they have a budget allocated towards certain groups and certain refugee situations around the world. So when that happened, they had to take funds from somewhere. So when they did that, uh, they had to lessen uh, the money that was going to help people like the South Sudan refugees in Uganda, like the Syrian refugees in Lebanon, like, and I could go on, all of the rations had to be cut, funds had to be cut. Uh, and so what we're seeing right now is a lot of refugees in these other suffering and, and are underfunded and have had their, seen their rations reduced. And just to give you an idea, um, you know, in Africa, uh, if you take the cash option, like you have an option of taking food or you have the option of taking cash. So in Uganda, South Sudan refugees, if you choose to take cash, you get $3.75 a month. Not a day, what you get in cash to try to make that. Now, I don't care what country you're in, $3.75 for the whole month is just not sustainable. Um, 
and so there's just a lot of suffering going there. I've got a video from last year uh, that I um, recorded, and I and I talked to my friend Jemima, and she's going to just share a little bit about what's going on. said that she received six killing wounds. Oh, guys, that's been an hour of this thing. We're down to 4.9 killing wounds uh, since that video was taken. Um, so there are a number of ways that we can help refugees like Jemima right now. We've got uh, two projects that we're trying to take care of. One, God has blessed us in that we're able to buy a farm in uh, Uganda, um, but it's actually owned by the church there. The, the 
G Church, uh, Catholic Reformed Church there, owns the property, 36 acres, uh, and um, we we are, have had two seasons of crop of farming there. We're getting ready to go into our third. In order to do that third planting, we need to raise ten thousand dollars to uh, to uh, move into that third stage, which is going to be about 16 acres. It's going to be mostly rice. container of food that's been donated to us, another 285000 of those that have been donated to Refugee Relief. We just have to pay for the shipping. However, shipping is very expensive all the way here from Arlington, uh, so it takes about $20,000 to get a container of food uh, from here all the way over to uh, Uganda and then to the rest of the world. So today, we're just going to uh, ask you maybe just to give the heart. Can we just say one thing? It's not about you, if it's what it's about, is your obedience. That's what God's after, is your obedience. And if you watch that video and you listen to me, God's tugging on your heart, right? That's what God's after, is he's asking you to be obedient to his Holy Spirit. Um, if God wanted your money, he'd just take it, because he owns it. <laughs> it's his money. around heaven wondering, oh my gosh, where are the funds going to come to make uh, this project happen? You know, he, he's, he owns the cattle of a hundred thousand homes. He knows where to get the money and where it's at. What he's after is for you and your heart. So thank you so much, Pastor. just in the giving of your offerings and the paying of your tithes, but also into this project and um, to sow seed to help um, feed hungry folks, refugees around the world, especially in Uganda. And, um, and I appreciate Scott, I appreciate the heart of, of refugee relief, and I appreciate what they, uh, what they, what they long to do and, and the projects that they have. Um, Scripture tells us, James, of course, says that God's perfect religion is this, to take care of the, the orphans and the widows, right? That, that, that's God's perfect religion. You see in the Old Testament, God is, is te tells the Israelites to look out for the foreigner in them because you also were foreigners in Egypt. And so I believe that, that refugee work, is, I believe, is near to God's heart. And so we want to encourage you this morning to give, not just to the needs here of, of New City Church, which we have. We, we have our bills, our budget. We have the things that we have to take care of here. But God hasn't called us just to be inward focused. He's called us to be outward focused. He's called us to not just care about what happens in these four walls, but what happens to the world around us to demonstrate the love and the mercy, the kindness, the grace, the generosity of God. So as you give this morning, you can give through the church here. Whatever is marked missions this morning is going to go towards refugee relief. So if you go to uh, our, if you just get on the app and hit give or go to, God will see our heart and God will even do more than we can think or ask or imagine with what we give out of obedience to him this morning. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love and your mercy and your grace. We ask this morning that you would meet the needs of this body, but not just the needs of this body, but use us, God, to help meet the need elsewhere. We thank you for what you were doing in this house. And God, we thank you for what you're doing through refugee relief to bring hope and food and gospel mission into the hearts and the minds of these folks around the world. We pray blessings on this project, and we ask that you would 
meet the needs of this house and meet the needs of these people today who give out of their obedience, out of worship, and out of faith. And we'll give you glory and honor and praise in this house. And the church said, amen, amen. Thank you all. Usher. and I hope you don't mind me drinking coffee while I preach today. I need it today. We were at Ellison's soccer match yesterday and, and got home late and I slept on the couch because, long story, there's no problems with us, we're good, but I slept on the couch last night. Um, and, uh, but so I'm, 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 I'm needing my coffee this morning. Continuing through uh, Luke's gospel, we are in, uh, this is week 62 of our journey through the gospel of Luke, and um, believe it or not, we are coming to a close. Some of you are like, no way, we were never going to finish Luke, but we are coming to a close this, 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 uh, over the next couple weeks, uh, next Sunday's Mother's Day, and then, and then I believe that, that after that, we're going to be wrapping up Luke. And so, I'm excited though, I believe that God has spoken powerfully through this series, and, and I just want to pray as we begin to get into the word this morning, I just want to pray that God would speak to our hearts and that we would hear what he has to say for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for what you have done in our house today already. We pray, God, that as we get into your word, that your word would get into us. Lord, that, that we would be bearers of, of, of good fruit of your word, that you would produce in us and accomplish in us everything you intend to accomplish through your word, that your word would, would not return void or empty. Speak today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I, I believe that we are living, and if you watch the news, if you read any reports this week, you know that, and, and really if you've just lived in this uh, country any length of time, we live in a lonely nation. We live in a lonely nation. A study was released this week by the Surgeon General that says that Americans are lonelier than we've been in 20 years. And that the study that, that they're, he's referencing that they've done, it actually ended before COVID even came on the scene. And COVID brought even greater loneliness. Over the past 25 years, this is, this is a separate study. Over the past 25 years, 40 million Americans have left the church. So over the past 20 years, our country and our, our nation has, has become more lonely. And also over the past 25 years, we have this great shift away from church and away from religion. I don't think it's a coincidence that loneliness is on the rise when the primary his, uh, means of social interaction historically within our country has been abandoned. And what, what we see happening now is that drug abuse is on the rise, suicide numbers are on the rise. Going back to this study by the, the Surgeon General in this news article from Apple News, it says in recent years about one in two adults in America reported experiencing loneliness. And that was, Murthy says, and that was before the COVID-19 pandemic cut off so many of us from friends, loved ones, and support systems. Research has shown that loneliness and isolation are, are linked to sleep problems, inflammation, and immune changes in younger adults. And older people, they're tied to symptoms such as pain, insomnia, depression, anxiety, and shorter lifespan. In people of all ages, they may be associated with higher risks of heart disease, stroke, diabetes, addiction, suicidality, self-harm, and dementia. The Surgeon General in this study, in this report, released uh, six pillars to help fi fix the problem of loneliness. Six pillars. It's, it's really good. If you haven't read it, it it's, it's actually really good. The first of these pillars calls for this, strengthening social infrastructure in communities involves boosting programs like volunteer organizations or religious groups, 
policies like public transit or education and physical elements elements like libraries and green spaces. That's from this this uh, report. Here's something really interesting that that we just saw in this report. Our own government recognizes the need for America to return to church. Our own government recognizes the need for this country to return to church because we're lonely. This morning, this need for people to return, this group of people that that maybe have have walked away or maybe are coming back or exploring, we're going to call them we're going to call them Sunday seekers. Sunday seekers are people looking for connection, for human connection, but ultimately they're looking for spiritual connection. They may not realize it, but ultimately they're looking for spiritual connection. Because we've come to know is that while for a long time, human connection, through a, for a long time, we have seen this, this walking away and abandoning of church, and we long for this connection. We long for a greater sense of purpose. We long to connect with our creator. So we are seekers. We're longing, even though we may not fully understand yet what we're longing for. We're seeking, and even though we may not fully understand yet what we're seeking after. And I want to I move this conversation into, into the, the understanding of, of church and, and Christian faith. I want to talk about these Sunday seekers in terms of Christian faith. A, a, way, a way to describe it would be someone who is open to God, but still trying to figure out what that means exactly. Well, we need to be church, or we need to be a people who offer hope and connection to a lonely nation, to a lonely people. We, I believe that the church has what a lonely nation needs. The church is a place of connection, both spiritual and human. I believe that we need to be a people that points these lonely seekers to Jesus. I want to talk this morning about a couple of seekers who were walking uh, the road to Emmaus. It was a Sunday sorrow. It was a Sunday sorrow. So if you got your Bible open, look at me, look with, with me to Luke chapter chapter 24. We're gonna start at verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Together they were discussing everything that had taken place. So in Luke 24, we're introduced to these two men walking on the road to Emmaus. They don't yet know that the tomb is empty. They don't yet know that Jesus is risen from the grave. They don't yet know that Jesus is alive. And so they were on their way walking and they were talking about everything they had seen in Jerusalem, everything that they had witnessed. They were discussing the life and the death of Jesus. They be- that everything that they believed about Jesus They had seen and witnessed, but they hadn't yet witnessed his resurrection. But they believed some things about Jesus, so they were talking about him. They believed he was a great moral teacher, I'm sure. I'm sure they believed that he was a great prophet and spoke great truth. I'm sure that they saw and witnessed and were talking about the miracles that he he worked and did. They, They talked about his sacrifice, but they did not know that he was alive. For just a moment this morning, let's just be reminded, Jesus was a great moral teacher, right? His moral teaching was stricter than Moses. It even went further than the law. His teaching would upset folks and religious leaders who were looking for loopholes in the law and ways to get out of of having to obey the law. He, he He is still upsetting folks looking for loopholes. Still upsetting folks who want to be okay with their sin. But he was the perfect moral example. He was the perfect moral teacher. Jesus would say things like, you heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, if you hate in your heart, you're guilty of murdering them in your heart. He would take it and define it down and and make it more real to us. He was a great moral teacher, but he was also not just a great moral teacher. He was a great prophet. 
He, he preached repentance. He preached self-denial. He preached judgment. He preached judgment for the self-righteous. He preached mercy for the poor in spirit. His preaching and his prophecy said that he would destroy the temple and then rebuild it in three days. And, it, and when he did that, it was considered blasphemy and, and they were angry at Jesus and they sought to kill him. He, his reading of the prophet Isaiah said that, that he was the anointed one who, would, who was coming for the weak and coming to bring the favor of the Lord. That's Today, that scripture is fulfilled in their hearing. He took it as himself. He was a great prophet. He prophesied that one day he would return. And we long for that day and we look for that day and we believe that day is coming. But he was more than just a great moral teacher, more than just a great prophet. He was more than just a miracle worker. He did amazing miracles. He said, if, but he also said, if my, if, if my teaching won't convince you that I'm the Messiah, then, then, then be convinced because of these miracles. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He did financial miracles. He, he performed miracles over nature. He walked on the water. He fed over 5,000 with some, with some five loaves and some fish. He calmed storms. He cast out demons. He, he told them to, to obey and to be quiet. He did great miracles. And not only did he great, do great miracles, then he still does great miracles. I have experienced great miracles of God. I, I should have been born dead. God worked a miracle in the womb of my mother. My daughter healed, my son healed. I have seen great miracles happen at the hand of Jesus. But he's more than just a miracle worker. He was also a, a great model of sacrificial love. He, he turned the other cheek, he carried his cross. Those who were crucifying, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even understand. They don't even know what they're doing. He willingly laid down his life. He offered himself as a sacrifice. It was death by love. He understood what he was doing. He told the disciples that his sacrifice, his death, would institute a new covenant with humanity and with God. Jesus died to make us right with God. See, some folks say they believe that Jesus was a great moral teacher or prophet or miracle worker or, or a model of love but they don't understand the fullness of what that means because Jesus couldn't have been any of those things or all of those things unless he was who he said he was and he said he was God. So these two disciples that day were trying to make sense of this man who said he was God who was dead. They're walking on the road to Emmaus. They're talking about his teachings, his miracles, his sacrifice. And they, they don't understand. It doesn't make sense. They had, they had surely hoped that he would be the one who would lead this rebellion and, and overthrow Rome. And now he's in the tomb. What does it mean? What does it mean? So in, in Luke 24, on the first day of the week, right, we know the story. We're going to read through this. They, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. This is the women. And they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in but did not find the body of our Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes, so the women were terrified and bowed to the ground. What are you looking for, the living among the dead? Asked the men. He's not here, but he's risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was to Galilee, saying it's necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed to the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day he would be raised from the dead. And they remembered his words. And so they returned to the tomb. They reported all these things to 11 and the rest, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, the other women. But it seemed like nonsense to some of them, to these men, and they didn't believe the women. But Peter ran to the tomb, looked in. Now on that same day, two of these disciples were on their way to the village. They were discussing everything that had taken place. What's happening now? This man who, who, who died, now these women say he's alive. What, what, what is going on? They, they wanted to believe. They wanted to believe, but it didn't make sense to them. How, how could this man who, who we saw crucified, how could he be alive? It, it doesn't make sense. 
discussing, verse 15, and arguing, Jesus himself came near and began to walk among them, but they were prevented from recognizing him. But they asked him, what is this dispute that you are having with each other as you are walking? And they stopped walking and looked discouraged. The one named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that happened here, there in these days? What things, he asked them. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a powerful prophet in action and speech before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we were hoping that he was the one who was about to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women from our group astounded us. They arrived early at the tomb, and when they didn't find his body, they came and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went in the tomb and found it just the way it was said, but they didn't see him. So he said he's a, they said he would be raised. We saw him die. The tomb's empty, but we haven't seen him. We don't understand. We're having a hard time wrapping our heads around all of this. What do we make about this? They don't understand, but then Jesus shows up. These two seekers were longing to know more about Jesus, longing to understand what was going on. And Jesus appears and begins walking with them, but they don't recognize Jesus, right? He's there with them. He's right there with them, but they don't see him. He's guiding their conversation, but they don't understand it. He's guiding their seeking, but they don't even realize it. He's leading them closer to himself, but they don't even recognize it. Listen this morning, you may be seeking, you may be questioning, you may be wondering about this Jesus. Jesus this morning is walking with you. You may not see him, you may not understand what he's doing, you may not understand the conversation that he's having, you may not understand that he's trying to bring you back to himself, but Jesus is walking with you. He has walked with you into the house this morning because he wants you to know him and see him and understand him. You may not see him now, but you will see him. He's beside you. He's guiding your conversation. You don't even realize it that it's him, but he is nudging your heart. He's whispering in your ear. He he is tugging on your spirit. And every time he does, he's leading you closer to God, leading you closer to himself. Jesus has joined your conversation because he wants you to know him. He's calling you. He's calling you to hope. He's calling you to peace. He's calling you to grace and to mercy. He's calling you to forgiveness and to reconciliation. He's calling you to follow him. He's calling you to life. And that life is more abundant than what the world has to offer. He's walking beside you, leading the conversation, leading you to the kingdom. You may not even recognize him, but he is near. these travelers we don't know much we know that they were disciples of jesus we we know that they had hoped that jesus was going to be this deliverer that was going to that was going to overthrow rome one of them their name was was cleopas and cleopas name actually means the glory of the father the glory of god that's what cleopas means so 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 this is really cool right luke chapter 24 verse 20 25 and 27 luke 27 he said to them, O foolish ones, he's talk, Jesus is Jesus talking to these two travelers. O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted it to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Luke understands what's going on. Luke, when he writes this, he gets it. Luke is, Luke is like this. If you want to see the glory of the Father, you've got to see Christ Jesus. If you want to know the glory of the Father, you've got to look into Jesus. You can't fully know God if you don't know Jesus. Jesus is the most complete understanding and revelation of God to us. Jesus is how we know what God Christ had to suffer. 
and the Christ suffered so that you could see and enter the glory of the Father. And then Jesus preaches this Sunday sermon, man, I wish that I could have been there, right? Then wouldn't it be cool just to hear Jesus open up the scriptures and begin to, to, to explain how they are all about him? So Jesus goes through all the scriptures and he, he preached about himself. I'm sure he talked about the bronze serpent on the pole and that brought people healing from the vipers in the wilderness. I'm sure he talked about the mercy seat and the stone tablets and, and the Passover lamb, right? And I'm sure he talked about judgment and, and the day of atonement and the scapegoat and the seed of Abraham and the eternal covenant with David. And, and I'm sure he talked about all the typology and symbols and covenants and prophecies and poetry that was about him and pointed to Jesus being the Christ wish that I was there that day. There's a book, in the book, Christ from Beginning to End, the authors help us see what Jesus preached to these two Sunday seekers. I want to give you a couple of these this morning. Understand this, that the seed of Abraham you go back into the Old Testament, you see that God made a promise to Abraham and that through the seed of Abraham, all the nations would be blessed. The seed of Abraham is about Jesus. The seed of Abraham is about Jesus. God's promise would come through Isaac, but ultimately Isaac can't save us. The Savior must come outside of Isaac. So Abraham, you know the story, maybe. Abraham and Isaac prepare to go up the mountain. God has told Abraham to take this only son that Isaac had in his old age that was understood to be the fulfillment of the prophecy to take him up the mountain and to sacrifice him. And so Isaac carries the, the, the wood up the mountain that he is going to become the sacrifice on. You know the story. Abraham takes his knife to sacrifice his son. But God says, stop. And there was a ram in the thicket that God provided for the sacrifice instead of Isaac. God provided a substitute for Isaac. And that was a point, that was a that was a that was a, a clue, a hint that God would provide a substitute for us. That Jesus is the ram in the thicket, ram in the bush, that would be the sacrifice. He would be the perfect Isaac, and he would be the sacrifice for us. Jesus, I'm sure, on that road to Emmaus, explains to the people how he was a better Isaac, and how he was a better ram, and that he was the substitute, the sacrifice for us and for our forgiveness. We see the old covenant, it points to Jesus. Hebrews 9, 8 says the Holy Spirit was showing by, by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. So in this old covenant, this Old Testament, we see that Jesus is the greater exodus, pulling us out of Egypt, out of our bondage, out of our slavery. Jesus is the greater rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is a greater prophet. Moses was a great prophet, but Jesus is far greater. Jesus is a greater tabernacle where we can meet with God and come in through, through the Holy of Holies through Jesus Christ by his blood. Jesus is a greater understanding. The throne of David points to Jesus. I'm sure Jesus is walking and telling them all of these things in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, pointing to himself. The throne of David points to the eternal king, that Jesus would be the fulfillment who would sit on the throne and rule forever and ever, that his kingdom would have no end. I'm sure that he point, took them to Isaiah and talked about how he would be the suffering servant and that how he would be like a lamb led to the slaughter 
so that we could be forgiven and made whole and healed. Jesus walks with them and begins to teach them and explain to them that he is the one. We're going to pick up in verse 28 of Luke 24. They came near the village where they were going. And he gave the impression that he was going to go farther, that he was going to keep walking. But they urged him, stay with us. Stay with us. It's almost evening, and now the day is almost over. Stay with us. I'm sure they wanted to hear more about Jesus. I want to know more about my Jesus. Those two seekers, they didn't want the conversation to stop. See, when you start listening to Jesus, when you begin to understand the fullness and of the goodness and the godliness of Jesus, you want to know more. You want to hear more. You want to understand more. You want to be in his presence more. The more you fall in love with Jesus, the more you want to fall in love with Jesus. A.W. Tozer, he says, to have found God and still be searching for him is the soul's paradox of love to have found God and still be searching for him. I want more I want to know more I want to, I want to experience more I want all that you have for me Jesus I want to I want to know all of you I want to understand all of you and, and be in your presence I want to know more of you Jesus the old song says right I want to know more about my Jesus I want to know more about my Lord Anybody remember that song? Like three of you. They used to pick up the red back hymnal and sing in Sunday morning service. I want to know more about my Jesus. I want to know more. All the Baptists in here singing the song. See, so they want to know more. They, they still don't fully understand. They still don't fully understand that they're talking to Jesus. He has explained it all to them. I want to know more about what you say. Stay with us. Tell us some more about this, about how Jesus is the fulfillment. They still don't understand. They still don't grasp it until they have a Sunday supper. Praise the Lord for Sunday suppers. They don't know it's Jesus until he goes to eat with them. Verse 30. It was as he reclined at the table with them that he took the bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, but he disappeared from their sight. <clears throat> they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us. At that very hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those with them gathered together. Who said the, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then they began to describe what had happened on the road and how he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. There's something about the way he broke the bread. There's something about the way it tore in his hands. When he tore the bread, their eyes were opened. was known to them in the breaking of the bread. I can just see Jesus picking up the bread, beginning to tear it, to break it, tear it open and give it, hand it out. And here's just what I see in my mind. story about how he had broken the bread in the upper room, how he had said that this is my body that's broken for you. 
Maybe when he, he tore the bread, they began to see something in his hands. Maybe they began to see the wounds, the scars. They remembered the cross. They remembered the blood. They remembered the death. They remembered the table. They remembered the promise of a new covenant in Christ's blood. They remembered all that he had just revealed about himself, and it all clicked. They saw Jesus in the breaking of the bread. Just think about the joy and the excitement, the amazement, the astonishment of seeing the nail-pierced hand of Jesus breaking the bread. They were seekers. They were wanting to know more. And when they realized who it was, when they realized that he was the promised one, that he was the one who was dead yet is alive, when they recognized who he was, they went from seekers to tellers. It says their heart burned within them. When they recognized him in the bread, their heart burned. They had to share all that they had seen, all that he had told them, all that he had revealed to them. They had to go and share it. So, so they go and they, they, they go back to the, the disciples and, and they, they, begin their, they, 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 they begin to tell them about what they had seen and how he, is, he was alive and how when he broke the bread, it clicked and they understood and they saw that these two started their day full of questions, but they ended their journey with the answer to all of their questions and it was Jesus. This morning, I invite us, I invite you to come and meet Jesus at the breaking of the bread. I invite you this morning, let's maybe take it. Jesus in the breaking. See Jesus in the bread. To come meet Jesus at the table. I want to tell you something this morning. Loneliness begins to end at the table. Loneliness begins to end at the table. When you gather with Jesus and the community of faith this morning, at the table, you are coming into fellowship with God. And this morning, whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, whatever the struggle is, whatever your questions are, come and see Jesus. God this morning for those who are seeking for those who are hungering for those who are longing for those who are lonely for those who are confused for those who on their journey maybe feeling lost unsettled or uncertain I pray this morning see you in the breaking. And that they would find hope and healing and forgiveness. As we do every week at New City Church, 
we invite you to pray. We invite you to come and see Jesus in prayer. See Jesus in prayer. this morning as you come I want to invite you to stay here while I pray for that and let's partake of communion together at the table that I thought of this morning to be reminded that in the midst of a epidemic of loneliness that you're not alone that you don't have to be alone Jesus is in the breaking of the bread and his body is gathering today there is hope peace and life whether it's your first time here you're a regular attender we have an open table. What does that mean? It means if you recognize your need for Jesus, you are invited to come. To come to Jesus. To say, forgive me. Heal me. I confess my sin. I confess my need. I even confess my loneliness. Receive the elements and then would you stay at the front this morning?